our desire to build a tiny house predated trailers manufactured for the sole purpose of of building a tiny house like we didn't we didn't even know where we were going to get a trailer from we didn't know what the heck we were going to do welcome to the tiny house lifestyle podcast the show where you learn how to plan build and live the tiny lifestyle i'm your host ethan waldman and this is episode 96 with andrew odom andrew is one of the original online tiny housers who started sharing his building journey as it was happening all the way back in 2009 and 2010. He inspired me while I was building my tiny house, both through his writing and also just by being a really friendly, accessible person who was there to help answer questions. While Andrew doesn't live tiny anymore, there's a lot to learn from his story, and he has stayed involved in the tiny house movement through organizing tiny house events and festivals, and also working as the managing editor of the Tiny House magazine. I hope you stick around for my conversation with Andrew Odom. But first, I'd like to tell you about the sponsor for today's show, the Quick Zip Sheet Company. We have reinvented just about everything in designing our tiny homes, but one area that we haven't gotten a handle on is making our beds. The Quick Zip Sheet Company is the company that has reinvented bedding. Tiny house builders have come up with some of the most creative configurations for sleeping, and it goes without saying that our beds are in tight spaces, making sheets almost impossible to change and to get on fully without lifting the mattress. We also have limited storage space. Quick Zip has created a sheet that addresses all these challenges. Quick Zip fitted sheets are two pieces, with a base that stays around the sides of the mattress and sheet that zips off and on for quick changes. They have engineered the base with corners that flex to fit your mattresses and with continuous, wide elastic and generous overlap underneath to keep the sheet snug so it won't pop off. And you'll even have room to keep an extra zip sheet on hand since they fold and store flat. They also added a great duvet cover this year, one that you can actually change even in tight spaces. It zips open wide so you can easily place the comforter inside, includes clips to hold your comforter in place, and has slots on the sides so you can reach in and adjust. You can learn more at quickzipsheet.com and save 15% with the coupon code THLP15. Again, that's quickzipsheet.com and save 15% with the code THLP15. Thank you so much to the Quick Zip Sheet Company for sponsoring our show. All right. Uh, I'm here with Andrew Odom. Ten years ago, Andrew Odom burst onto the modern tiny house movement not even knowing it was a scene. Truth be told, at the time, it wasn't. But because of the efforts of he and countless others, it has become one. It has become one, and he has remained at the forefront for much of the last decade including his current involvement as the managing editor of Tiny House Magazine. Andrew Odom, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great to have you here. I feel like, um, I think I asked you to be on the show like a long time ago, maybe one of the first episodes, and you're like, nah, I'm kind of just a behind-the-scenes guy, like not really doing <laughs> interviews. And And it's true, you are a behind-the-scenes guy, but you really are still really involved in the Tiny House movement. Yeah, I I think that um I think that I I hate I, I don't it's very difficult because I don't I don't ever want to say that I have 
you know, inspired a bunch of people or I'm kind of, you know, the impetus for people just taking it on, you know, for themselves or that I've even taught people how to do some of this stuff. But I think that's kind of the role that I've ended up ended up playing is that um, I am in the background, but only because I'm not just, you know, I'm not on the center stage, but it's hard to say I'm in the background because I don't really play like a background role. I'm not like wallpaper. Um, <laughs> no, you're I'm, not like wallpaper. No, I'm, I, I, I don't even know. I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I'm, I just do so much stuff. I'm kind of, I kind of have my little fingers and everything somehow. Yeah. Well, let's, maybe we should rewind because, um, you know, I know your story because I followed you on your build, I would say you were like a bit ahead of me on my build. And so your website, tinyrevolution.us was like, it was one of my few lifelines of information that I could go to, to see what is someone else doing in terms of building their tiny house, DIYing it, you know, what challenges have they come across? How do they solve them? And, you know, you were always just an email away, really friendly, always available. So I always appreciated that. But Let's let's back up. Like, you know, when when did you how did you hear about tiny houses? Why did you decide to jump in and you know, yeah, start there. Yeah, so the story I you know, and I feel like I've told the story like a million times and maybe I have told it a million times and lots of it always amazes me to find out how many people do not know how we started because I feel like I've just said it so many times and you know the story's been in documentaries and it's been written about and it's been in newspapers so I'm always surprised that people don't know um but the story really is pretty simple I mean um you know my wife and I have been married now for going on 12 years and um when we first got married we had collectively lived in I don't know, 19 states and like seven or eight countries. We had been, both of us had been living very scaled down and in fact, out of backpack for, for several years. Um, but we both grew up in the South and uh, college and, you know, high school and college, it's a whole American dream ethos. So you know, we went to school and we got good grades and school led to another school and we did well and we graduated and got degrees and that led to getting a good job and, and good job by, you know, get, you find a, a mate and then when you find a mate, you, you get that starter house and the starter house leads to a dog and the dog leads to a kid and the kid leads to, leads to a picket fence. And before you know it, you've got all the trappings that say you are successful in life. And so uh, when we got married, you know, we were coming off of, of living kind of these adventures. And so we felt like the, the most natural step was to kind of, at the time, and, and this is key, at the time we used the phrase settle down. Uh, it was time to kind of settle down and, and figure things out. Just a fast forward real quick. We haven't used the, actively used the phrase um, settle down in a long time we uh we say anchor down because we're always ready for the next adventure and and we know that we have plenty of adventures left in life even though we're kind of stationary right now with our daughter and with my job and all that but 
we know that ultimately it's going to end up in another adventure. And, and this in itself is an adventure. So uh, we got married and um, I was working kind of a dead-end job. I knew it was a dead-end job because the owner of the company told me, you know, this is a dead-end job, right? It's going nowhere. <laughs> so <laughs> I was well aware of that. And uh, my wife was working part-time at a junior college and we just really didn't have the resources to kind of move into that American dream. But we went kind of house shopping anyway, and we found this cute little bungalow in town and, and, and the price seemed to be right. You know, in retrospect, it was a piece of junk, to tell you the truth. Um, but uh, we found it and, and we went to, uh, you know, a lender and talked to them and they, they said, well, we'll get back to you in about two days. And so they did and they came back oh my gosh even they came back with this astronomical number and i was like okay daddy gonna provide i was stoked i mean i was like man they know something about me i don't know so they were offering to give you a ton of money oh man it was ridiculous i mean i knew so little about finance then that it just seemed like they were like i won the lottery you know and so i went to my wife who who has uh had Part of her career has been in accounting. So I told her, and I was like, you know, this is going to happen. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to get the house or whatever. And she said, well, let me think about it. And, um, and so she did for about a day or two. And she came back to me and she said, well, you know, I've got good news and I've got bad news. And I said, well, what's the good news? And she said, we can get the house. And I was like, yes, we're going to get the house. This is awesome. You know, I'm going to be able to get a house for my wife and I and, you know, all that sort of thing. And I said, so what's the bad news? And she said, well, the bad news is, is that we're not going to be able to have electricity or water. We're going to have to sell the cars. We probably won't eat very much. And I was like, what? And she said, we just, we can't. It's impossible. She said, we'll be paying for this house for the next like 60 years. And uh, so it really just snapped me into this reality. And so we started thinking, you know what, we got to find something different. And kind of at that same time, we realized, you know, it wasn't beyond kind of just this, this very traditional state of mind. It wasn't all that exciting to think about getting a house and a picket fence and all that. So we started looking all over the place, man. We looked at uh, RVs, we looked at cabins, we looked at chateaus, we looked at lake houses, we looked at igloos, we looked at yurts, we looked at living on Mars. I mean, we looked at everything. And uh, one day we just <laughs> we stumbled upon uh, this dude by the name of Jay Schaefer that was rolling this little shack around the U.S. And uh, we were like, man, that's, that's pretty cute, you know? Like, looks like a little house, like a tiny little house. And he seems to be happy, and he's got everything in it, and it looks simple enough to build. Um, and so we decided, like, right there. And then the next day, I was kind of tooling around again and using this new phrase, tiny house. And that's when I came across Tiny House Blog, written by Kemp Griswold. And, um, and so my wife and I decided this is definitely what we want to do. We want to build one of these tiny houses. And, um, we had, we were living with my parents at the time. And, uh, so, you know, 
the next night we were all having supper and I just kind of announced, guess what, mom and dad, we're, we're going to build a tiny house. <laughs> and and uh, you have to know my parents to understand their reaction was like, hmm, cool. And that was that, that, that as anticlimactic as that is, that was the beginning. What year was this? 2009. 2009. Okay. So we're like way before any reality TV shows. Um, you're, you're early, man. That's, that, that's early on. So, uh, what I was saying is our desire to build a tiny house predated like trailers manufactured for the sole purpose of, of building a tiny house. Like we didn't, we didn't even know where we were going to get a trailer from. Yeah. We didn't know what the heck we were going to do. So for some reason, I thought that your first, that you first did a fifth wheel. Or was that after your tiny house? That was after. We oh, okay. went backwards. We did the impossible and then did the easy. <laughs> right. So, so tell me about your first, the tiny house that you built. You know, did it have a name? What was the size of it? You know, yeah. tell us a bit about it. It had a name. We called it Tiny House. Nice. Um, it, you know, it was interesting. So one of the things we decided very early on was not the size of it and not how much square footage we would have and not even the design. Our first consideration was we wanted to build it debt free. We weren't going to borrow any money, take any money, use credit cards. We were going to build it cash on the barrel. And so our entire build was based around this concept that we were going to build cash on the barrel. Which, fast forward, Ethan, I've got to be honest with you and all your listeners, it floors me that people are willing to like take an $80,000 loan out today to buy a tiny house. I mean, it floors me. I just, I, I can't even wrap my head around it. Because we had committed to only working within our means. Now, that means it took us, you know, about a year and three quarter to build the tiny house. Um, And of course that brought in some other issues, but the fact of the matter is, is when all was said and done and we moved in, we didn't know a penny for it. It was truly our house. Got free. Nobody could tell us anything. It was our. So um, uh, when we, started trying to figure out how we're going to do this. We knew we needed a trailer first. And so we thought, well, where do you get a trailer from? So we thought, well, what else is on a trailer? And that's when we started thinking about campers and mobile homes and stuff like that. And one day my wife was looking on Craigslist online and um, she came across this person selling a uh, 30 foot long um, Shasta travel trailer except the travel trailer had been removed. So it really was just a trailer with some leftover aluminum and insulation on top of it. And the price was right. It was like 500 bucks. And um, so we followed that lead and we went and looked at it. And, and uh, when we got there, we you know, kind of specced it out and looked at the integrity of the build and what the weight I had already um, done a little research to find out what the original weight of that travel trailer was. So I would kind of know what I was looking at and it just seemed right. And to, to, to be honest with you, when we got to the guy that was selling it, um, 
he and I were kind of talking and he asked me if I wanted to step in because it was rather hot outside. And so I did. And when I went in, I saw that he didn't have any, any power and his wife and his kid were sitting on the floor. They didn't have any furniture. And uh, as he was talking, I found out that he was a, a lineman, an electrical lineman, and he had been laid off and he couldn't find work for about 14 months. Mm. And um, this was like the last thing he had to sell. He had sold everything else. And we had budgeted like $750 for trailer. And, um, you know, he was asking 500 And that really, in my opinion, that started off our project and just allowed our build to be blessed in so many ways because we gave the dude the whole 750 And he w- at first, he didn't want to take it. And we were like, nope. Nope, this is what we we came to spend on this trailer, and this is what we're going to leave you with. And um, so we did. We left our budget there, and we took the trailer home, and and that started it. That that started the build. And so at that point, we knew we needed four walls, and from those four walls, we started designing out the layout of the house. And there weren't that many houses at the time to, to kind of <laughs> model after. So what did you think online? (laughs) Wow. So what did you, how did you go about the design process with so little to go on? Well, I knew I didn't want a loft. We had seen two with loft and I knew I didn't want a loft because I didn't want to deal with the ladder and all that sort of stuff. So, um, I decided, you know, it'd be best to do a single level tiny house. There's just two of us. We can make this happen. And so really we thought about, okay, this is just like building a shed. We're going to put up four walls, make sure they're structurally sound. We're going to build it on the trailer using that as a foundation. So we've got to figure out how to keep it on the trailer. And then we're going to put a roof on it and that's it. And so that's what we did. We literally built a shed on top of a trailer that was fastened to the trailer using what now trailer manufacturers uh, weld on threaded rods for, except we didn't, we didn't um, know what we were doing. We just kind of played it by ear and started piecing it together like that. Nice. Well, I, I feel like I would be remiss if, if our listeners just went forward with like, wow, Andrew got a trailer for 750 bucks and that was a great deal. Um, you know, you, you kind of famously... I I use you as an example of why you might want to rethink, you know, using a used trailer. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you could tell tell us a little bit about kind of what you ended up having to do to the trailer to get it oh, God, to be it ready to build on. Worst decision in the world. If anyone's listening to this podcast and you're thinking about using a trailer that was for something else at some point, stop now. Stop. <laughs> Um, what didn't we do, Ethan? I mean, we started out by taking the wheels and the axles off. We replaced the leaf springs, replaced the axles. We sandblasted the trailer. We primed the trailer. We welded on support brackets. We welded on the threaded rods. We painted it. We ran wire. We put a new hitch on it. I mean... (laughs) Did I leave out any part of manufacturing a trailer? Because that's basically what we did. I don't think you did. So what was what was your ultimate cost and, and time sunk in? Do you remember? 
Thankfully, my dad had all the welding equipment. Thankfully, my cousin is a welder. And thankfully, my wife was more than happy to do the sandblasting. So um, it wasn't a whole lot of cost. We had a lot of the materials because my parents lived on a farm. So, you know, whenever you live in a, a rural situation like that, you always have piles of scrap stuff everywhere. So um, we really didn't have to buy anything. We had to buy the threaded rods, of course. Um, and we had to buy four cases of spray paint between primer and, and, um, and uh, high temperature black. We uh, ended up buying four cases of spray paint. So uh, I think we probably spent maybe an extra $200. All right. So not a ton of money, but just many, many hours. Oh, gosh, like three solid weeks. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's it was I'm glad that you went through it so other people didn't have to. And you you did a nice job documenting. I remember reading about what you were going through, and it was one of the things that really tipped me over to be like, nope. I'm going to spend the money. I'm going to buy a new trailer. Oh, yeah. Man, the project became less about building a house and more about building every other thing, like building a trailer, <laughs> how to build a wall, right. how to keep your wall to stay in place, how to, you know, I mean, just all sorts of how-tos that sure. most people take for granted when they think about, oh, I'm going to build my own house. Man, there were so many things. Like, we had to figure out, I remember having long conversations about the plumbing and the electrical thinking, especially the plumbing, like, are we going to run the plumbing underneath of the trailer? If so, how are we going to, you know, temperature control that? Or are we going to run it through the walls or how is that going to work? So, you know, that was a big consideration. And, um, you know, just all of those kind of things were, um, were things we hadn't anticipated that came up as, as we went along, for sure. And, you know, I think this is a kind of a good segue into the fact that's how Tiny Revolution came to be, is because when we were researching, there was only two or three sites on, on all of the World Wide Web talking about tiny houses. And um, they weren't even really talking about them, more or less, they were just kind of saying, you know, we're going to do this. And, and they would take kind of pictures every, you know, three or four weeks. And I thought, you know, if people are going to do this, they need to know what they're looking at. And so I started documenting everything. And because I'm a marketer professionally, I felt like it was a great way to market what we were doing and maybe even get some companies involved with building tiny houses because they may want to jump into the scene, but they don't know how. And um, so that's how Tiny Revolution came to be. It really started out as just a blog so that our family and friends could, in fact, see that we were as crazy as they thought we were. Um, and then it just turned into day after day of how-tos and, and pictures and and uh, if anyone, you know, doesn't believe kind of the struggles we went through, it's, it's very much still online. We leave it up as an archive site and it's got, um, I don't know, eight or nine years worth of material on it. Right. And that's tinyrevolution.us. That's right. So I want to kind of fast forward a bit and um, 
and ask you about Tiny House Magazine, mm-hmm. which, you know, we've had Kent Griswold, who is the senior editor, and it's kind of his baby on the show. Um, I've written some articles for it. Um, you've written a ton for it. What, you know, of all the things that exist online in the tiny house world, what, what about tiny house magazine like keeps you, you know, why, why is that the thing that you kind of stay connected to? You know, the thing is, is, is it's the magazine's all about authentic people and authentic stories. There's no editing. There's no slick camera work. There's no, you know, um, stylized photos. There's none of that. It's just real people telling their real stories and not just stories about, hey, we decided to go tiny, but how to's and things about tiny life. Like, you know, there are people living in tiny houses for years and now they're starting to garden. And so they're taking that approach to gardening and how businesses have cropped up in tiny houses. And so it really is just Part of what I do as the managing editor is I find people that want to contribute to the magazine and tell their story, and and that's it. I I, I kind of guide them, but that's that's it. We don't we have a, a grammar editor, but we don't have a content editor because we Kent and I both really believe in the authenticity of the story and the storyteller. And because of that, I just keep coming back to it because I'm so fascinated by what continues to move people in this direction. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's written by tiny housers for, for tiny housers or potential tiny housers. That's right. It's probably the only magazine where you can see the letters T-H-O-W and not have to put in parentheses what it actually stands for. <laughs> exactly. Do you have any any favorite stories that you've published in the magazine, like of all time or even just recent ones that have stood out for you? Yeah, well, you know, let me just say that we're um, we're working on issue 86 now, which for the tiny house, the modern tiny house movement is probably, I mean, just unheard of 86 monthly magazines of tiny house content. Right. That's like over seven years. It is exactly. And Kent and I have been together for six of them. So we've been putting this out every month for for years. And um, one of my most favorite stories we just published about three or four months ago, and that's um, how um, Campfire Tiny Houses, Campfire Survivor Tiny Houses came to be. You know, the campfire, I think, happened uh, about a year ago incredible loss of life, loss of, of home, all that sort of stuff. And this, uh, this wonderful woman, you know, just felt like she was called to build these tiny houses for these survivors. Uh, her name is uh, Alyssa. And um, the interesting part of the story and the part that really choked me up is she had never built anything in her life, Ethan, ever. And um, she just felt like, well, for her to tell the story, she felt like God was telling her, this is what I want you to do. This is what I created you to do. And in the past year, they've built 12 tiny houses for campfire survivors, and they literally have given them away. Each one has been paid for by various people and entities and 
and all of that sort of stuff. And they've given them away in their beautiful little tiny houses. And she's just an incredible person. So that that story is one of the most recent that we've published that has really just had an impact on me because it speaks so highly of of people doing things so far outside of their comfort zone. And the fact that she did it in the tiny house world is is really amazing. Yeah, I agree. She is amazing. And and I will say, um, when this does come out, I will have already put out an interview with her. That'll be episode 95. So anyone listening can go back and hear her tell it as well. Yeah, for sure. And then um, I think um, I early on when the schooly thing started happening early on, I was able to talk to several schoolies. But I, I think probably um, Derek Cobia of Frugal RVer was one of the people I enjoyed working with in, in his story because he was a personal financier before they decided to just kind of chuck it all and, and buy a bus and travel. He had, he had been helping people establish wealth and establish you know, their, their personal assets. And the entire time he was doing that, he, he really was losing time with his wife and time with his daughter and and was not getting anywhere really himself financially. <laughs> and, and so to, you know, to know that someone that is just as gifted as, as he and his wife are just felt like there was something more for them. Hearing their story was really cool. And uh, being able to publish that and let others share in that, that was cool. And then going way, way back, I think probably the coolest story was I've always been fascinated by the trucking industry. And so I I got to um, work with a company that does these deluxe queen sleeper cabs. And so to see what they're able to build in these tractor, in in the front end of the tractor trailer rig, where basically they have a, a traditional tractor trailer rig and then they add like t- a 20 foot camper onto it. It's, it's amazing. I'm talking about like granite countertops and led inset lights. And it's just amazing. So that was really cool. That does sound really cool. What, what's the name of that company? <sighs> Gosh, I wish I could. I can't remember off the top of my head. I would have to, um, Oh gosh. Well, that's fine. If you if you think of it, shoot me an email. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. I'm I'm getting old, <laughs> and so uh, I can't remember these things the way I used to. Nice. Oh, I remember now. It's um, legacy. That's who it is. Legacy sleepers. Okay. Yeah, legacy sleeper. That's right. So, um, you're not living tiny anymore. Although I would say that the the home that you do live in is tiny compared to most, you know, the average American home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, did you sell your tiny house or did you, do you still have it? Yes. So we lived in our tiny house on wheels for about two and a half years. And then we decided, that's when we decided we were going to go. We just, I was working for myself at the time. And so um, we felt like we, we really had a desire to keep traveling. And um, we weren't ready to, as I said to you earlier, settle down. 
So we sold the tiny house on wheels to a couple that it now lives in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Still intact, mind you. Amazing. So we sold it to them, and we bought a more traditional travel trailer, and we promptly kind of refurbished that. We didn't gut it, but we definitely stripped it and, and refurbished it to where it matched our family's personality. And we lived in that on the road for a little over two years. And then, strangely enough, we were in New Mexico, and my wife's um, mentor, who is also a real estate agent, she sent us this link to this little homestead and uh, back where we're from. And uh, we kind of looked at it. And um, long story short, uh, about three days later, we made an offer on it. <laughs> and we ended up buying it without walking into it before it was time to close on it. Wow. And so that's where we're at now. We're still living there. It's um, it's a little over 900 square feet, heated square feet. And then we have some storage space on it. So it tops out total at just under 1,200 square feet. And there's three of us, my wife and I and our daughter. And um, it's perfect for us. It's, it's on um, a, about two acres of land. And um, so we have a, a barn and we have some gardens and stuff like that. And it's perfect. I mean, the, the funny thing about it, Ethan, and, and I think other tiny house families will tell you this, because our daughter was born into a tiny house, she lived in a tiny space for the first five years of her life. The three of us, even though we have all that room, we find ourselves occupying pretty much the same like 100 square feet together all the time. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we, we sit together. We eat together. We're in the kitchen together when my wife's cooking. I'm usually, you know, standing there leaning against the, the uh, countertop or something, and my daughter is hanging out at the table so we're we're always we have an intimacy in our family because of our experience together that keeps the tv turned off that keeps the interruptions out and we have great conversation yeah that's that's a really sweet benefit of tiny house living that you know it, it's a fairly common story that you know a couple builds a tiny house and then you know when a baby comes along they kind of move on from it but it sounds like there are some nice benefits if you can hang on a bit and and mm -hmm. live tiny as a as a family of more than just two absolutely i also you know you you've also been involved in organizing two festivals two tiny house festivals is that correct yeah so so for the sake of of your readers i'll give you kind of the rundown because um i don't know why i remember this stuff i just do but um so Tiny Revolution and my wife and I, and then more extensively me, we have uh, been in 16 newspapers. We've been in three movies. We've been in four magazines. We, last I checked, there were 916 Pinterest board that included photos of our house, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Um, but there's a reason why. It's because we were the first first tiny house to build a gourmet full size kitchen in our tiny house. We had full size appliances and all that stuff, so it was very unusual looking. 
so back to back to what I was saying. Um, I have written a university course that was published um, on uh, the history of the modern tiny house movement and how it's affected by uh, architect post World War II architecture. We have hosted two festivals, but I've been um, I have run seven festivals and consulted on three other festivals. And then here's probably, here's probably the thing that makes me go, gosh, what if I had all that time back? I've written um, 6,200 and let's see, as of last week, 296 articles on tiny houses and the world revolving around tiny houses. Wow. 6,000. <laughs> so it's, um, and not all of those are credited to me. I've done a lot of ghostwriting for companies and, and uh, for other folks, but it's just, it's just interesting to me. You know, it, it goes beyond the house. It goes beyond the movement. It goes beyond the statement. It really boils down to me, this, innate desire to find home no matter where you are no matter how long you're there no matter who you're with that innate desire that human beings have to find home and so that's what I always find inspiration in that's great well one thing that I really like to ask all of my guests um, is what are two or three resources that helped you while you were building your tiny house that you'd like to share with our readers. And I might add to that, since you did it so early and there were so few resources, if someone were to come to you today and say, I want to DIY build my own tiny house, what, where would you send them? What, what would you recommend that they do? Well, I can tell you when we were building ours, one of the, Probably the primary resource that I couldn't have done it without is my dad. And it's not because he built any particular thing or that he guided us through it, but just that when I kept talking about tiny houses and building them and, and for, you know, for months was just, you know, eaten up with the topic, he never got bored. He always listened to me and he always treated my thoughts with such respect. And so for me, that was instrumental because it always motivated me to keep going no matter how bizarre it seemed. Um, the second thing is probably a nail gun. I would say that was a resource that uh, was just came in handy all the time, all the time. And um, not just for building things. Sometimes it came in handy because I was so frustrated. I would just take a piece of scrap wood and just lay it out. <laughs> and then the third thing would definitely be Tiny House Blog. I mean, I've told Kent this several times. If it hadn't been for him writing about cabins very early on and then moving into the tiny house world, I, I don't know if I would have found what I needed to keep going that inspiration to keep trying to build something, to make something. I, I, there were a couple of times where I, you know, we had to sit for weeks with doing nothing on the house because we didn't have money to. And I got not frustrated, but I just thought, that, why, why did we do this? Why didn't we just buy that other house? 
But um, through his blog, you know, I would see these these images and I would say, that's why, that's why we didn't, because we're pursuing something more than just a house. Um, so those are three resources that were, you know, kind of invaluable to me. And, and I, I, I would keep those three resources now moving if I were to do it all again tomorrow. Um, as far as, you know, phrase the other question for me again, because I want to make sure I answer it correctly. If somebody was, you know, came to you and said, I want to build a tiny house myself. I want to DIY this today. You know, where would you send them? Who would you send them to, to, to get the info that they, that they need? I would tell them to probably, you know, it's hard because there's a couple of answers. The first one is it's kind of a, my immediate reaction is it's a, it's a good and it's a bad all at the same time. I would tell them to lay off the YouTube for a while. Like don't watch YouTube for a while while you marinate this thought because YouTube is sinister sometimes. It is so easy to edit a video and make it look like the easiest process in the world. And it's not. It's just not. Never building anything is, you know this, it's never an easy process. I mean, things come up and, and, you know, how about those days? I don't know if you remember this, but I remember once I had a sinus infection while we were building and I couldn't do anything for like a week. And it just it it just killed momentum for like a month because I felt like I was so behind and I just couldn't get back in gear. And um, you know, had I done it on YouTube, I would have just edited that month out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I, I I really kind of want people to know that and safety, safety. That's what I want people to know, safety. Sometimes DIYing is not the best option because you have to remember that you're putting your life and your loved one's life in this home when it's done. And if it's not a safe structure, you're putting everyone at risk. And especially if you're going to tow it down the road, anyone you, you're driving around is at risk if you don't have a safe structure. That's a really great point. Is there is there anybody that you know that that writes about this or that you know that where where can you go to learn about safety? Because it's... yeah, so I would definitely um, read up on Chris Shaptic, uh, Tiny Industrial. He writes a lot about building a safe home and what it means to tow your home and understanding more about um, about what it takes. To, to build a towable home. He's got a really good perspective on it and, and he doesn't mint his work. So I find that he's a great resource to have when talking about the safety of it all. Nice. Well, thanks for that recommendation. Um, yeah, for sure. Andrew Odom, thank you so much for, for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's always fun because, you know, we tend to, as life moves on, we tend to forget the little nuances of all the stages we've been through. And it's easy for me to take for granted kind of my role in the modern tiny house movement because it's me. So I kind of forget that we were there so early and that there could potentially be hundreds of people who were inspired by what we did. 
And um, so it's always nice to just kind of remember that that you were blessed enough to have that that time where you could help people grow and learn and and sometimes just be entertained by what you did. Thank you so much to Andrew Odom for being a guest on the show. You can find the show notes from today's episode, including links to Andrew's website, photos of his tiny house, and links to his books and other resources at thetinyhouse.net slash 096. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 096. Also, thank you so much to the Quick Zip Sheet Company for sponsoring our show. Don't forget to head over to quickzipsheet.com and save 15% with the coupon code THLP15. Again, that's quickzipsheet.com, coupon code THLP15. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.